President Trump had to learn his lesson about the generals the hard way on the job. He could have called me. I could have told him that some generals are great, some are good, and a lot are eh, not all that. And Mark Milley is way below eh. He is a, well, he's totally at home in the swamp. Uh, with all of his fake news friends, he is a total drama queen. Here's the deal. There is a new book that's making big waves in the Beltway by two Washington Post reporters. I alone can fix it. And they're saying that Mark Milley told them that he was afraid that President Trump was going to engage in a coup, which kind of doesn't make sense. He's the sitting president and Milley's the four-star general and coups generally come from the military. Anyway, he had concerns that the president would not leave office if it came to that. Now, Mark Milley is a big deal. Remember, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. But first on these two reporters for the Washington Post, I don't have much respect for them, especially Carol, Carol Leonig. She wrote this book about the Secret Service. It's full of mistakes. I noticed these just off the top of my head. But back to where we are right now, the new book, uh, General Milley, he was concerned about President Trump. Would he leave office? Now, he could have denied this story, and he hasn't. All right, he's got like 55 publicists and PR people. We've heard no denial from him. So we have to take this, yeah, this is what he was saying to these reporters. Fake news is going nuts about it. Uh, let's go through it. There is new reporting from the Washington Post that the nation's top military officer, Joint Chiefs Chairman Mark Milley, worried about what Donald Trump might try to do to hold on to power after losing re-election. After attending a November 10th security briefing about the Million MAGA March, a pro-Trump rally protesting the election, Milley said he feared an American equivalent of brown shirts in the streets, alluding to the paramilitary forces that protected Nazi rallies and enabled Hitler's ascent. Late that same evening, according to the book, an old friend called Milley to express concerns that those close to Trump were attempting to, quote, overturn the government. He called former National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster to ask whether a coup was actually imminent. What the F am I dealing with, Milley asked him. The conversations put Milley on edge, and he began informally planning with other military leaders, strategizing on how they would block Trump's order to use the military in a way they deemed dangerous or illegal. Who's really in charge here? Who's really running the government? At this point, Donald Trump is the president of the United States, but Milley is signaling to the swamp, I'm with you. The book also details how Milley confronted then White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows at the annual Army-Navy football game about rumors that the president was preparing to replace then CIA Director Gina Haspel with a loyalist. What the hell is going on here? What are you guys doing? Don't worry about it, Meadows reassured him. Just be careful, Milley warned. Millie said, just be careful. Mark Meadows will be here in a little bit. We'll talk to him about all of this. Hey, by the way, nothing wrong with the president putting a loyalist in charge of the CIA. Joe Biden did it. Quite frankly, Donald Trump should have done more of it. All right. So a little bit about Millie, where we are now and what was happening back then. Now, you remember how, uh, well, he lost his mind. He got very, very nervous when he walked across the street with President Trump. No big deal. There was a big riot the night before. 
Order had been restored. President Trump went over to St. John's Church, held the Bible up to the consternation and annoyance of the swamp. They thought this was an abomination. Right now, by the way, a Black Lives Matter mural is at that church instead, and everybody's fine with it. So, Milley was so traumatized by this, or was he? He came out and apologized. He made a big deal about <laughs> walking with the commander-in-chief. He should not have done that. As many of you saw the result of the photograph of me at Lafayette Square last week, that sparked a national debate about the role of the military in civil society. I should not have been there. My presence in that moment and in that environment created a perception of the military involved in domestic politics. So it didn't spark a big national conversation. It was minor social media blowback. It created the perception of military participation in politics, domestic politics, that's what he said. It actually sparked some curiosity in my mind. Where was he when he said this? Turns out it was at a June 11th commencement for the National War College. They were having a graduation. I looked up the speech. Is this a speech from somebody who's trying to avoid domestic partisan issues? I am outraged by the senseless and brutal killing of George Floyd. His death amplified the pain, the frustration, and the fear that so many of our fellow Americans live with day in and day out. As we said in the military, this is way out of his lane. And he goes on with his observations. The protests that have ensued not only speak to his killing, but also to the centuries of injustice towards African-Americans. What we are seeing is the long shadow of our original sin in Jamestown 401 years ago, liberated by the Civil War, but not equal in the eyes of the law until 100 years later in 1965. We are still struggling with racism, and we have much work to do. Much work to do, the language of the woke far left. Did you hear that? The original sin? He is a general in the army, talking about things that happened in the 17th century. Um, it does make sense in a weird way. This is how the guy talks when he's in front of Congress. I want to understand white rage, and I'm white, and I want to understand it. Good for you, bad for the military. More. Racism and discrimination, structural preferences, patterns of mistreatment, Unspoken and unconscious bias have no place in America, and they have no place in our armed forces. We must, we can, and we will do better. Again, with the do better, an unconscious bias. How are we going to fight that? People debate what it is and what it means and if anybody really has it. The military can't and should not take that on. It's totally ridiculous and totally political. More. And we should all be proud that the vast majority of protests have been peaceful. Peaceful protest means that American freedom is working. Who remembers those peaceful protests from last summer, huh? They were all over the place. Peaceful protests. Yes, indeed. So peaceful. You must have been watching uh, the fake news. Maybe MSNBC. Where did they get this idea? I want to be clear in how I characterize this. This is a, mostly a protest. Uh, it, is not, uh, it is not, generally speaking, unruly. All right, maybe Mark Milley was watching the news. What else? The foundational value that underpins American rights embedded in the Constitution 
is that all people, no matter who you are, are born free and equal. And while the military sets an example for civil society through our inclusiveness, we too have not come far enough. We all need to do better. Okay, do better. You keep saying that. This guy's right out of woke Twitter. How is he going to do better in the most unoriginal, uncreative way you can? The United States military has a higher proportion of African-Americans serving in our ranks than in society at large. Only 7% of our flag and general officers are African-American. The Navy and Marine Corps have no African-Americans serving above the two-star level. And the Army has just one African-American four-star. The most unoriginal, uncreative way. Count faces. Count color. Statistics. Counting what people look like. Is that innovative? Is that interesting? And again, it's way, way outside of his, uh, his purview. What else? We must ensure fairness and equity at all key gateway selection boards, including promotion, command, and war college. We must take advantage of the diversity committees, the councils, and the offices in each of the services to identify best practices in talent management and act on them. Ay, ay, ay. Equity, diversity committees. This is now sounding right out of the socialist handbook. Um, all right, let's talk about race in the military. Uh, it's true in the upper ranks. It's uh, mostly Caucasian if you want to talk about that. Um, but what's the solution here? Do we go around like General Milley just counting who's Caucasian, who's African-American, who's Asian-American? Or maybe this is an opportunity to talk about root causes. Yeah, they've talked about it before the Obama administration. Here's a real good time. You can just figure out what everybody looks like or we can talk about root causes. There was a time when Barack Obama, back when he was trying to gain support, talked about root causes in the African-American community that General Milley was just talking about, about absentee fathers. He brought it up about increased incarceration and lower graduation rates in families that have an absent father. And it happens too often in all communities, but particularly, he said, the African-American community. What are some other solutions, General Milley? Be inclusive. Make a commitment to seek out and surround yourself with those who don't look like you, think like you, and who come from different backgrounds. Specifically, reach out to junior officers and enlisted members whose background is different than yours and, and mentor them. Seek out people who are different. This is a heartbreaking message. He's wearing a uniform. Unity. I wore that uniform. I was so proud. And mentorship. I wasn't looking for people different from me or other than me or like me or whatever. We were all on the same team. The freedoms guaranteed to us in the Constitution allow people to demand change, just as the peaceful protesters are doing all across the country. Remember, this is where he apologizes for partisan political appearances walking with the president. Did he mention change and peaceful protests again? Minneapolis, anybody? When that police station was on fire? There's a little bit more, and this is where, in a weird way, you tell me what you think. He gets a little bit creepy. All of us in uniform are willing to die for that idea, the idea that is America. And so we must also be willing to live for that idea, for freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom to peacefully assemble, and freedom to vote, and 
freedom to believe as you wish in your religion. These are essential freedoms that are the cornerstone of our country. Americans have spilled their blood to protect them in the past, and they continue to be worth fighting for. This we will defend. Now, those freedoms, of course, are basic. We know that. This is in the middle of last year. This is well before the election, well before January 6th. He's raising issues about voting, freedom to assemble, and this we will defend. I think there's something ominous about this. I don't know for sure, but I do know this. <laughs> he wants a job, this guy. Let me tell you something about the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Here they all are, going back 20 years. Now, generally speaking, they all have four-year terms. You see that? Each one is around for four years. But it's not a four-year term. It's actually two two-year terms. You have to be re-nominated by the president two years in. It generally happens, but not always. General Pace, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs during a good chunk of the Iraq War, was essentially fired by President Bush. Wasn't impressed. Performance wasn't there. Now, General Milley has only been on the job since 2019. Guess what? In just a couple of months, he's up for renomination. What's he thinking about right now? The military, the country, or his career? He hasn't been renominated yet. I have a feeling I actually know where his priorities are because you just heard all that nonsense that he just said. You know, some of it you might agree with, but it's well outside of his area of responsibility. And remember what we showed you at the outset. His apology for being seen with the president. Many of you saw the result of the photograph of me at Lafayette Square last week. That sparked a national debate about the role of the military in civil society. I should not have been there. My presence in that moment and in that environment created a perception of the military involved in domestic politics. But you can talk about peaceful protests, George Floyd, unconscious bias, doing better, diversity councils, and equity. None of that's political. None of that's political. President Trump called this guy a dog today and said that uh, he was one of his worst appointments ever. I have to concur. We'll be back with Trump's former chief of staff, Mark Meadows. He knows the real story. checked out the Newsmax Daily Podcast with me, Rob Carson. You get daily news, insightful commentary, and believe it or not, comedy. Check it out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or at NewsmaxTV.com slash podcast. All I can say is that the fake news just doesn't get it, do they? All right, folks. Ooh. Um, they are we going to pretend that Jen Psaki, the press secretary, is any good at this job? Uh, the fake news, Hollywood, they are committed to the illusion. We're good? We're good. Okay. When the president asked me to serve in this role... We talked about the importance of bringing truth and transparency back to the briefing room. Rebuilding trust will be central to our focus every single day. 
Ugh, give me a break. I mean, we've seen the performance. We've seen her. Uh, it's not inspiring anybody's confidence, but they're all pretending that this stuff is normal. Today, I don't want to say scary, but maybe a little bit scary. What they're talking about, the White House monitoring social media posts, figuring out what they like, what they don't like. And then what? Reporting us? Yeah. We've increased uh, disinformation research and tracking uh, within the Surgeon General's office. We're flagging problematic posts for Facebook uh, that spread disinformation. We're working with doctors and medical professionals to connect uh, to connected medical experts with popular with popular who are popular with their audiences with uh, with accurate information and boost trusted content. So we're helping get trusted content out there. Trusted content. You know what? Stay the hell out of it. Excuse me. Um, and Dr. Fauci. He changed his mind a million times. He was wrong a lot. Uh, that's up to us. It's not up to the Surgeon General and uh, your West Wing executive staff. It's not. Stay the hell out of Facebook. I can't believe that they gave Kaylee McEnany, who was gifted at that job, uh, such a hard time. She really was amazing. So uh, Barack Obama has yet another book out about himself you know, he's had a lot. Let's see, four memoirs. And this is, well, he's updating dreams from my father for young adults. Yes, there will be an addition this fall. Uh, Obama to adopt memoir, dreams from my father for young readers. Uh, you know, I'm actually reading his latest book um, for amusement purposes and education. I'm seeing some pretty disturbing things in there. I told you about all of the references negative references to white people. He talks about white panic, white flight, white prejudice, uh, how a room full of white men is somehow lacking in color and it's not interesting to him, that kind of stuff. It's pretty amazing. There's also a moment about the beer summit. Do you remember that? Professor Gates up at uh, Cambridge, he works at Harvard, uh, had a confrontation with a police officer and admittedly it was awkward Cops saw somebody seemed to be breaking into a house. Turned out it was Professor Gates, but it was his own house. Professor Gates was really upset, and a cop wound up putting him in handcuffs and bringing him downtown. Now, Barack Obama writes in the book that he knows Professor Gates and knows that he can, uh, he can be a little bit obnoxious, and he could see how this guy um, might have taken it the wrong way. He could see how this would happen. So... After this beer summit, Valerie Jarrett comes into the uh, Oval Office, and you know what she tells him? Everybody's upset that we had to be so nice to the police officer, that we had to be, they don't understand why we had to bend over backward to make Crowley feel welcome. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. How they really feel. It's in this book, by the way. <laughs> Nobody's reading it, uh, although they say they do. Oh, there's another book out there. It's called Lucky. It's about the uh, Biden campaign. Uh, interesting moment. He's about to start running for president, and they point out to him, Sir, with all due respect, uh, everyone you've named to your staff is an old white guy. You can't launch a campaign with all white guys. You'll be dead. Uh, Biden said immediately, we have to get her on board today, referring to Simone Sanders, who you see uh, there next to him, who was ultimately hired. Here's where it gets a little weird. Um, she's only 29 years old, not that experienced, was like the deputy communications director for some uh, gubernatorial candidate. 
and Joe Biden has to woo her, according to the book, uh, at the house in McLean, Virginia, quite a nice house, one of Joe's four houses. Uh, let's see here, going back to the book. Uh, the interview lasted two hours. It was supposed to be a 30-minute meeting. Biden gave her a tour of the house, talked to her about his dogs, recounted how Jill rejected his marriage proposal repeatedly. Uh, it just goes on and on like this. Joe, at the time, has already served two terms as vice president, and she's still on the fence. Not quite sure. What's going on? Huh? Wouldn't most people jump at the opportunity if they're of the same party? Something weird's going on here culturally, and um, I think we all know what we're talking about. Joe said it right there. This was a diversity hire, and when you do that, I don't know. I don't know if it's a good thing. I don't know. What do you think? Let me know. All right, we also have this. Uh, oh, a book about political correctness and how to fight it. It's called Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds by Michael Knowles. And look, it's an academic book, and I've been reading quotes from this book, and they go on and on and on. But I think there's a lot of value here for the insane conversation that's happening nationally. It's good to read a book by an academic and really get into it. I haven't read something like this since college. It's pretty dense, but... I'm going to put it up on the screen, if you don't mind. The cultural revolutionaries forced the Bible out of schools the decade before the school of resentment began to poison American education, he writes. Uh, in 1963, in a decision, the Supreme Court discovered a theretofore hidden constitutional ban on biblical education in public schools. With the Bible thus vanquished, the radicals next set their sights on... Shakespeare and the other great writers of the Western canon. They portrayed their campaign as an effort to expand the curriculum to make it more open, liberal, and inclusive. Should be using an ellipsis there, that's okay. But curricula cannot expand. There are only so many hours in the day and students can only study so much in a semester. Every minute spent on one writer or work means a minute away from another. And he talks about how conservatives always fall for the same liberal traps when it comes to political correctness. I think this is a worthy book that we should all read. All right, we also have this. Black Lives Matter! Black Lives Matter! Black Lives Matter! Black Lives do matter, not just the way the Black Lives Matter movement says. They only seem to care when a black life is taken by a white cop. And why do they do that? For money, for political power, for attention. But... All lives matter, all black lives matter, including the life of 17-year-old Jace O'Neill. Jace O'Neill shot and killed following an argument with a friend who turned out to be a rival. It happened Monday night in Columbus, Ohio. O'Neill had a fight with a 16-year-old girl she used to be friends with over a boy. Um, police say the 16-year-old suspect went into her house, came back out with a gun, and started shooting at O'Neill. She was hit once and died. She was extremely well-liked in her high school, played tennis, and sang in the choir. Loving, caring for people, it's just fun. It's full of life. She played tennis, she would sing, she would act up, um, she'd come in the house and we watch videos, and she'd just be a part of the family. Just, she just had so much joy. I just know we have to do something to help these kids to understand the difference in violence and different in dealing with um, situations and issues. If we don't do it, nobody else will. Suspect is under arrest. She, the suspect, again, 16 years old, no word on whether she'll be charged as an adult or a minor. Jace O'Neill, just 17 years old. Folks, coming up, 
Mark Meadows, the former and favorite chief of staff to President Trump, who's been in the news today a lot about some conversations that may or may not have happened with General Mark Milley. We'll be right back. So, uh, General Mark Milley, was he really afraid of a coup? I actually don't get this. <laughs> president Trump, sitting president, uh, he's he's the guy who would be carrying out a coup. That's how coups generally, traditionally have worked in other countries. Why are we bringing this up? Well, uh, there's a new book that says General Milley was afraid, at least, that Donald Trump would not leave power if it came to that. The book is called I Alone Can Fix It. It's written by two Washington Post reporters. You know how we feel about them, but General Milley is not denying any of this. Listen. The book also details how Milley confronted then White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows at the annual Army-Navy football game about rumors that the president was preparing to replace then CIA Director Gina Haspel with a loyalist. What the hell is going on here? What are you guys doing? Don't worry about it, Meadows reassured him. Just be careful, Milley warned. Just be careful, Milley warned. That's quite a warning from a general to the chairman of the, I'm sorry, to the chief of staff to the president. Mark Meadows was that chief of staff. He was right there at the Army-Navy game when this conversation allegedly happened. Mr. Meadows, Congressman, welcome back to Newsmax. How are you? Well, it's great to be with you, Greg, and certainly it's great to correct the record, and I'll be glad to do that tonight. I can tell you, it's amazing how uh, some of these individuals, uh, Chairman Milley to be one of those, saying that he doesn't want to get involved in politics, and yet what we see is false narratives and false stories being uh, discussed with, with authors of books. I can tell you this, that conversation didn't happen, and, and General Milley, if he wants to come on on this this show or any other show, I'll be glad to come on with him and confront him to his face because I can tell you the kind of things that he's sharing just didn't happen. Uh, I would welcome that very much. And we went through his speech uh, when he apologized. And this is not an apolitical guy by any means. Um, by the way, there were some shifts happening at the Pentagon. Uh, there were some reports that it was contemplated that you were going to move Gina Haspel out of CIA, but that would have been fine. Quite frankly, a lot of folks think you guys might have done that sooner because she was a career person and not a political appointee or somebody who might be loyal to the president. And that's perfectly permissible in our system. Well, it's not only perfectly per permissible, but it's the purview of the president of the United States if that's what he chose to do. You know, the interesting thing is is that we hear a lot of tough rhetoric coming after out of General Milley right now. And the truth of the matter is, is that I had dozens and dozens and dozens of conversations with him when other people were actually in the room and other people were on the phone. And if there was a real concern about what he's talking about with the coup and all of that, he didn't once mention that. I, I I can tell you, he didn't mention it to the National Security Advisor. He didn't mention it on multiple phone calls when I was on with he and Secretary Pompeo. So, you know, all of a sudden, this recollection that, that he's having now uh, may make for good book sales, but it doesn't make for, uh, for the truth. And it may make for him being accepted by President Biden, by Vice President Harris, and whoever is really running the show, maybe Barack Obama, because Mark Milley was selected for the chairman job 
by President Trump. And it's only a two-year term. A lot of people think it's four. It's not. So he's up for renomination. My sense is he wants to get in good with this administration and saying stuff like this helps. Could that be a motive? Well, obviously, it could be a motive, and I'm not here to uh, suggest that I understand his motives. I can suggest that I understand the actions. And the actions that he's putting forth uh, do not align with what actually happened in my personal conversations with him and in others. And for him to suggest that, you know, it's, it's a bold General Mark Milley pounding his chest to suggest that he was pushing back. Uh, if, if he made any kind of a comment, it is more of a suggestion. Listen, now the American people are starting to see what President Trump was up against. He was getting pushback from the very people in his administration. He didn't want to fight these endless wars. He didn't want to, to uh, leave our men and women who are called to serve our country over there in these endless battles. And what would he get? Politically correct uh, officers at the Pentagon uh, putting forth their own politically correct narrative. And we've seen much of this in this particular narrative coming out of this book. Hey, did you did the president think about possibly terminating this person? I, I think he must have been concerned. And he said that today. He, he was a pretty rough on him, President Trump. Uh, he choked like a dog. Uh, this guy was a bad, bad appointee. Uh, but when he made that walk with you, I think, in the entourage from the White House to St. John's Church, he's there. Everything seems fine in the photograph. And, you know, President Trump arrives at the church, takes out the Bible and he has a meltdown and makes that apology. What was your reaction as chief of staff? Did you get on the phone and say, why are you apologizing for walking with the president? You're allowed to do that. Well, I, I got on the phone not only with, with General Milley, but with Secretary Esper, too. You know, they went out uh, trying to uh, have this, this uh, politically correct tour to suggest that they had no knowledge of anything. Listen, I, I, I can tell you that when we start to see our men and women in the military get political, like is coming out from this, uh, that, that is not what uh, we're called to do in service. And, and I can also say this, General Milley, uh, when, when he walked across uh, to that that particular night that you're talking about in front of uh, the Episcopal Church, uh, he, he wasn't putting up any pushback. In fact, he suggested the American people he had, and that was a very different narrative than we had in the Oval Office before we went over. Well, I think we've got this guy's number. <laughs> Ultra political, and let's see what happens. Uh, Congressman Mark Meadows, former chief of staff to President Trump, we appreciate it so much you coming on Newsmax. Many thanks, sir. Thank you, Greg. All right. To be continued, and we'll be right back. This country was made by tax rebels, freedom fighters, gold seekers, believers, lovers, and true patriots. We're Newsmax, and we're their heirs, and so are you. Newsmax TV, real news for real people. Well, it just doesn't pass the sniff test, right? Hunter Biden, an artist. This stuff is, uh, well, <laughs> uh, are you impressed? No one's impressed, but somehow he's going to charge $500,000 for this stuff. It's ludicrous. The media should be making a far bigger deal out of it. Fortunately, some key people in Congress are saying this is ridiculous and we want answers. I want to show you a portion of a letter. Uh, this is from the House Oversight Committee to the 
counsel to the president. And uh, for the, the prices for these paintings by someone with no formal training or history as an artist raise questions about whether the art is being offered for its merits or its connection to the White House. As one gallery owner said, anybody who buys it would be guaranteed instant profit. He's the president's son. Um, this is just, I mean, it's a joke, but it's really happening. They're not backing off of it. I'm so pleased we have Congressman James Comer, Republican of Kentucky, uh, with us. He is the House Oversight Committee ranking member. Sir, welcome back to Newsmax. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me on again. You bet. You bet. So, um, look, how much momentum do you have here? This seems preposterous. Uh, the White House entertained some questions at a briefing, but this seems to be going forward. What can you do? Well, no sensible American would believe that Hunter Biden is, first of all, a desired pick to be on the board of a foreign national company, and nor would they believe that he is an artist who would command a half a million dollars for a piece of art. So this doesn't pass the smell test. This goes along with a pattern of conflicts of interest that we've seen with Hunter Biden and other members of the Biden family. And we're asking questions. And I, if I were Joe Biden and, and the White House, I would want to be transparent with this because there are a lot of suspicious things taking place in the White House now with respect to China. And the fact that Hunter Biden's selling art to anonymous buyers, one might raise the question, is communist China one of the buyers? Is this, is, is this the reason the Biden administration isn't very interested in getting to the bottom of the origination of the COVID-19 COVID virus? I mean, there are so many questions that Republicans have that I think average Americans have about China and the Biden administration doesn't seem interested. But here we have Hunter Biden with, uh, with his newfound uh, fame and fortune in artwork. So we have some questions. Yes. Uh, good for you, by the way. And I'm so glad you're on this. I, and by the way, maybe some questions for Joe Biden's brother, who doesn't get all that much attention. His name is Frank. He's not a lawyer, but he has a pretty big job at a law firm. And he even has a commercial uh, about what he can do for you. Take a look. I'm Frank Biden. I'm the non-attorney senior advisor to clients statewide who need diversified business solutions through the Berman Law Group. I'm available for consultation with attorney Teddy Berman in any of our offices statewide. Why would anybody want a non-lawyer to uh, consult with about legal issues? I, 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 have you heard of that? Never. Never have I heard of that. And I've asked several of my attorney friends at big law firms throughout the state of Kentucky. Nobody has ever heard of anything like that. It's another conflict of interest. It's another pattern by the Biden family of trying to profit off of Joe Biden. And this doesn't just begin when Joe Biden became president. This happened throughout the Obama-Biden years when Biden was vice president as well. So uh, this is very unethical. Uh, it raises serious conflicts of interest. And I believe that the White House needs to be transparent. Uh, we've asked some valid questions that I don't think anyone in the right mind would, would consider partisan, especially if you take into account the questions that the Democrats on the Oversight Committee asked about the Trump children. When the Trump children were involved in the real estate business decades before Donald Trump ever ran for president, so there's a big difference in comparing the Trump children to the Biden children and the Biden family. So uh, we're going to try to get to the bottom of this. We're not going to let up on it. All right. But wait a second. Hunter Biden has the right to pursue his artistic impulses. That's what we heard from the White House press secretary. 
That after careful consideration, a system has been established that allows for Hunter Biden to work in his profession within reasonable safeguards. Uh, of course, he has the right to pursue an artistic career, just like any child of a president has the right to pursue a career. Uh, but all interactions regarding the selling of art and the setting of prices uh, will be handled by a professional gallerist adhering to the highest industry standards. And any offer out of the normal course would be rejected out of hand. And the gallerist will not share information about buyers or prospective buyers, including their identities with Hunter Biden or the administration, which provides quite a level of protection and transparency. We're going to rely on some gallerist, otherwise known as a gallery owner, I guess, or gallery worker. A gallerist will uh, make sure that this is on the up and up. Good thing you wrote this letter. Keep us posted, uh, Congressman. We appreciate it. Congressman James Comer, Republican of Kentucky, ranking uh, member of the House Oversight Committee. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me on. You bet. To be continued, we'll be right back. I love how Joe Biden tells everybody to be nice on his staff. He does it in the most not nice way. Very aggressive. It's Joe Biden, of course. This is uh, orientation day at the White House a few months ago. But I'm not joking when I say this. If you're ever working with me and I hear you treat another colleague with disrespect, talk down to someone, I promise you I will fire you on the spot. On the spot. No ifs, ands, or buts. Everybody, everybody is entitled to be treated with decency and dignity. Treat everybody with decency, damn it, or you're out. Uh, well... Maybe he's got to fire. Do some firing. Take a look at this headline. Apparently, Kamala's office is really messed up. The Daily Wire reports traumatized Kamala Harris staffers terrified she will become president. Uh, according to a report, there's all kinds of uh, bullying in the uh, White House, and maybe some of it's coming from Kamala herself. I'd like to bring in our guest, Kelly Sadler, former special assistant to President Trump, a commentator, commentary editor for The Washington Times. Welcome back, Kelly. How are you? Good. How are you doing, Greg? Very good. What's the word in the Beltway? Uh, is this a mean girl assass uh, exaggeration, or is this, a, is this a real problem in the White House? No, this is a real problem in the White House. But anyone who's studied Kamala Harris's career knows that this has been a problem for a really long time. I mean, just look at her failed presidential run. She had to drop out in December of 2019. And in November of 2019, the New York Times did this huge expose about how her campaign staff was so messed up, how there was infighting between them, how they didn't understand what Kamala's positions were. They didn't know who she was or what she stood for, and therefore it made her campaign virtually impossible. She got named to be President Biden's vice president because she's a woman and she's a woman of color. And, and President Biden made that very clear that that was who he's going to pick as a vice president. So he had very limited options with Kamala. Yeah, right. He put himself in a box when he said first woman, then woman of color. Uh, listen to Kamala, by the way. I could forgive me, but I could see how she'd be kind of uh, not the most pleasant person to hang out with. This administration and this president, he is in the business of intimidating and instilling fear in people. And in particular, those people that he perceives to be vulnerable. So when he makes these grand proclamations through his big tweets, what he is doing, I believe, intentionally is trying to create fear in these individuals and these families. And that is not the sign of a strong president. Mm -hmm. 
strength, the display of strength in my book is you lift people up, you don't beat them down. I feel not lifted up when I listen to uh, Kamala Harris. You mentioned her campaign. One of the people who left uh, before she quit the race, look at this, please. Top staffer said this is a really bad place to be. She's worked on a lot of different campaigns. This is my third presidential campaign, and I have never seen an organization treated staff so poorly. I no longer have confidence in our campaign or its leadership. That's Kamala. The treatment of our staff over the last two weeks was the final straw in this very difficult decision. I'm also hearing, and people like Dick Morris, said, even the Biden people, the, the people mm -hmm. close to Biden, don't like her anymore, they feel threatened by her, that she's out for herself, and she can't really even handle the basics of the job. Well, she can't handle the basics of the job, that's clear. Look, she's been put in front of the immigration crisis. She can't get anything done on that front. Um, she's been put forward to advance voting rights or their SR1 nationalization of the election laws. That looks like it's dead in the water. Uh, she's in charge of broadband, some space. Her portfolio is vast and wide. But what has she really accomplished? She's accomplished nothing. She came into the Biden administration, and they knew that she had no staff left. All of her campaign staff quit. Um, her senatorial staff was very slim. So they gave her a bunch of Biden staffers and just thought, because she has no principles or positions on anything, they could just feed her the line and that she would carry it out. Yeah. But even we've seen in her media interviews, She's not even good at conducting media interviews. She's shrill, she's nonchalant, and she's trite. Well, there's a darn good chance she's going to be president because a lot of folks don't think that Joe is going to make it uh, the distance. Real quick, your thoughts on General Milley. Uh, I found it appalling what he said while President Trump was president, that whole thing yeah. with the church and the walk across the street. Uh, in 10 seconds, did you ever deal with this guy? What's your sense of him? I never dealt with him, but listen, the military shouldn't be a political institution. The military is becoming too woke. I'm worried about the readiness um, to confront the dangers of China and Russia. And General Milley should stay out of politics and his political commentary and focus on the readiness of his troops underneath him. Great advice. Kelly Sadler, former special assistant to the president and uh, commentary editor at The Washington Times. Thank you very much. To be continued. And we'll be right back. Ultimately, I'm always right. We told you about Mark Milley, the general, and all of his worries in that book. President Trump laid into him big time. Uh, let's see. At a meeting at the White House, he found out that Milley was an advocate of changing all the base names and forts to politically correct names. He said, I realized then he was a much different person than I had hoped. I said to him, spend more time thinking about China and Russia and less time on being politically correct. And he also said he choked like a dog when he made that apology statement. Wild stuff. I happen to agree. Have a great night and stand by for Stinchfield. Thank you.